Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Vanished ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. She's probably under some sort of control. If she's alive, because nobody's heard from her, none of her old friends. Her phone is dead. Her phone's dead. They've pinged it. They've done everything. I've called companies, AT&T, to see if it was sold. You know, if somebody picked it up, put it under another number, nothing. So it's obviously broken or something. She basically disappeared after the 20th. She, no one's heard from her. No one's spoken to her. No one's seen her. In September of 2017, 18-year-old Corinna Susser went missing. In the years prior to her disappearance, the Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania native lost all interest in school. Her grades began to slip, and she would have had to have gone to summer school in order to graduate. But Corinna had different plans. She dropped out of Bloomsburg Area High School and set her eyes towards the future. She wanted to move in with her aunt, who lived in Massachusetts, in 2018, due to the fact that her and her mother, Sabina, were not getting along. However, this move would never happen. A few months before Corinna went missing, she had met a man by the name of Giovanni Paguero. Giovanni told Corinna that he would be able to help her get a place to stay in New York City. In August of 2017, Corinna picked up and went to the Big Apple. She only took her cell phone and ID with her. She left all of her other belongings behind. It wouldn't be long before Corinna disappeared, and she's believed to have been the victim of human trafficking. I'm Marissa, and from Wondery, this is episode 183 of The Vanished, Corinna Slusser's Story. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, and more. And my favorite part is that members can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, while traveling, working out, doing chores, you decide. I carve out a little bit of time each evening to listen while I'm cooking, and right now I'm listening to Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. Despite the strained relationship with her mother, after she moved to New York, Corinna kept in touch with her along with other family members and friends back in Pennsylvania. She told them that she was fine and happy. But they were all unaware that while Corinna was in New York, she had been lured by a man who would later be charged with trafficking. Not too long after Corinna arrived in New York, she called 911 on Giovanni Paguero after he stole hundreds of dollars of her money and physically assaulted her. Giovanni was arrested and charged with the assault. A protection order was placed against him. Corinna's family became almost immediately aware of this altercation but she brushed it off as a minor incident. 
The following month, Corinna's grandfather passed away. Corinna's family traveled to Florida to attend the funeral. But Corinna said she couldn't make it because her driver's license and social security card had been stolen, so she was unable to fly. Even though Corinna did not attend the funeral, she told her mother that she wanted to come back to Pennsylvania. She planned to return on September 20, 2017. But Corinna never came home. After numerous attempts to get in touch with her, Sabina, Corinna's mom, reported her missing. Corinna was allegedly last seen in the early morning hours of September 20th, leaving the Haven Motel in Queens, New York. Ever since September 20th, Corinna has been silent across social media and towards her family and friends. In October, her 19th birthday came and went with no word from Corinna. It is as though Corinna disappeared into thin air. But then, after over a year of not truly knowing what happened to Corinna, there was a break in the case. In November of 2018, a man by the name of Ishiwoni was arrested and charged with sex trafficking and other related charges regarding a woman whose name has never been disclosed and Corinna Slusser. He had posted ads online featuring this woman and some of the ads included Corinna as a two-girl special. A picture posted on social media before his arrest shows Corinna visibly thinner than she had been before her disappearance. Since his arrest, a new feeling of hope has been sparked within the case. For this story, we were able to speak with Corinna's mother, Sabina. Here is Sabina speaking about Corinna, what she was like in high school, what caused them to butt heads from time to time, and important details leading up to Corinna's disappearance. Let's start off by saying Corinna was a really good child at a few years ago, okay? She was a cheerleader. She was involved in track. She was working. She had a job when she turned 16. She wanted to go to work. I'm a single mother. Her father's not in her life. I worked third shift as a nurse for Geisinger. And the last year or two, I noticed things just starting. Her last two years of high school, I noticed things just started like happening. You know, like you think it's teenage years. You know what I'm saying? Like she got caught underage drinking at one point. Then she got caught her last year in the fall. She got caught shoplifting. um, All these different things leading up to what's going on. And her grades started declining. So the last year, you know, they have these stories like me and her didn't get along. Like if you read about that, the last year we didn't get along because basically she, her grades, she was failing every grade. She didn't want to go to school anymore. So we got her involved in that charter school. So she was doing online schooling and she couldn't even do that. She was out partying. You know, she just, she, she wasn't working. Just everything that a mom, you know, would bitch about, that's what I did. And we butted a lot of, we butted heads. She tried to commit suicide that April. She was in the hospital for two and a half weeks. She was in ICU for over a week. And then she was in the psych ward for 72 hours. We had group counseling and not once did she tell them anything about drugs, anything about what she was doing, whatever she was going through. She just basically acted like she only smoked weed and she wasn't involved with anything. But obviously there was stuff going on the whole the whole time, but she didn't let him know. And then June came around and Corinna was failing school and she was supposed to, she had to do summer, summer classes because obviously she wasn't going to graduate because 
she was failing two classes, so she would have had to do summer school, but it was online. And she tells me that she's moving out with a girlfriend to Hazleton, which is about 35 minutes away, but it's a horrible place. It's, it's not the best place to live. There's a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, just a lot of bad stuff there. And I kind of begged her. I said, don't go, don't go. Cause I, you know, I had a feeling it'd be bad. And that was the last time I saw her. So she moved out. Not this past June, the June before, she moved in with her friend. We were still in contact. We were in contact. You know, I would text her and we would talk on the phone. And she got a job at Cracker Barrel with her friend as a waitress. And next thing you know, I'm on Facebook. I look and she's in Brooklyn, New York. I text her and texted her and messaged her. And she returned and said, she's staying here. And I told her, what are you doing in the city? Get your butt back home. And this went on for a few weeks. We were just talking and she's like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm like, what are you doing for work? Like, cause she was going to get some studio apartment and she was telling me she was doing something with payroll. Like she never gave me anything that she was doing what she was doing. Sabina was able to find out that Corinna, after moving in with this friend, was kicked out of that residence for an unknown reason. Corinna then moved to the city with nothing but the clothes on her back. So she moved to the city. She moved out with her friend probably the end of June, more towards the end of June. By the middle of July, that didn't last very long. She only got a one paycheck from the job at Cracker Barrel. So that tells you she wasn't with her very long. The girl kicked her out for whatever reason, and they fought, and Corinna left with some people to the city. Someone had obviously drive her to the city. When she left this girl's house, the girl kept her makeup, all of her clothes. That's why it says she left with the clothes that she had because the girl basically kept everything I bought. Her makeup, all of her expensive clothes, kept everything and said that. And when I called the girl, I said, you know, that's my daughter's stuff. The girl said, well, until she pays me, she owes me money. She's not getting her stuff back. Karina's 18. What could I do? Right. So kind of left to the city with whatever she had what she was wearing and that was it. And like I said, I told her to get home and she, I mean, she was 18. I couldn't make her come home. She, she was okay at first. She, she liked it. Then she's trying to get some studio apartment in the city in Manhattan. And obviously, you know that it's not cheap. So I asked her what she was doing for work. And she said she was doing stuff with payroll. And I thought it was strange. I know my daughter's wild, you know, like I knew, like I didn't ever would have thought sex trafficking. You got me? I thought maybe like strip, you know what I mean? Dancing or something. I, I, I had a bad feeling, but I didn't know. I would have never thought that. You get what I mean? And she never told me. She said she was doing payroll. So I left it at that. At the end of August, I get an alert on my phone because I have family base on our phone. I noticed she was doing a lot of calls, you know, in the middle of the night because that gets it to my phone. I also saw that I got an alert. I got scared because it's 911. It alerts me if someone calls 911. So, uh, you know, I'm all freaking out. Days went by. I didn't know anything. Finally get a hold of Corinna. She tells me that she's fine. It's okay. Some guy choked her, took her money. I'm oblivious. I would have never thought it's a pimp or anything. I don't think of those things. So she says she's fine. She's like, he went to jail, but he's already bailed out on a thousand dollars and he was looking for her and I'm like get your butt home 
couple weeks later, the protection from abuse where she got a PFA against them, it came in the mail. And that was in the beginning of September. Sabina wanted Corinna to come home. They had their differences, but Corinna's safety was the most important priority. However, Sabina expected Corinna to abide by some rules upon her return, some of which Corinna outright refused to agree to. All while this communication was going on, sadly, Sabina's father passed away. Then my dad passed away September 14th. We talked every day while he was really sick and stuff in the hospital. And then I told her my dad passed away, and I told her I was going to my dad's funeral because it was in Florida. She said, I don't have any identification. I don't have any this, 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 this. She was telling me she was going to try to get a train, which whatever. She was going to try to get there. And that was basically the last time I talked to her. And she told me that she did beg me to come home. It was the 19th or 20th. It was probably Thursday or Friday. She said, I want to come home. I'm coming home. And I gave her like a list of stuff I expected if she was to come home. I was like, well, you need to go back to school. You need to get a job. You need to do this, this, and this. And she was totally like, I'm not going back to school. I'm going to go get my GED. And we were like back and forth. And that was the last time I talked to her. I said, we will talk about all this after I get back from Florida. And I never spoke to her again. The fact that Corinna abruptly stopped speaking to Sabina was strange, given the fact that she was planning on potentially returning home soon. Sabina then reached out to Corinna's friends to see if they had heard from her. The whole week I was like messaging her and calling her phone, but it would go right to voicemail. So that was weird. So when I got back, I just called one of her friends and I was like, have you heard from Corinna? Because I can't get a hold of her. They said, well, she last posted on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, whatever, on this and this date. And she was very avid on social media. Like, she would be on social media on Twitter and Snapchat. And So I went to my police station, and I reported her missing. After reporting her daughter missing, Sabina realized that this case wasn't being taken as seriously as she thought it should, given the fact that Corinna was over 18. They didn't look at it like she was a missing person. They looked at her like she was a willing participant because of all this. She's over 18. She wasn't missing. So this just went on, and then more detectives got involved. And then, you know, next thing you know, it hit social media. And I don't think they really considered her a missing person until the springtime, to be honest. Because that's when she went in the, in the NamUs or whatever that is, you know, where they put her in for, as a missing person. That's when they came to my house and got my DNA. The FBI and the detectives came to my house twice. They went through her room with gloves, took some things to get her stuff, get clues. Everything that they could possibly get to get information, her tablet, they took DNA samples from me. So now she's considered an actual missing person. Earlier, we made mention of a man by the name of Giovanni Paguero, who allegedly assaulted Corinna by putting her in a chokehold and stealing money from her. In December of 2017, a hearing was set, but Corinna never showed up for it and the charges against him were dropped. According to court records, Paguero has been a pimp since at least 2013 and has been arrested multiple times. He claimed that he doesn't know where Corinna is. According to Sabina, he is currently incarcerated. All I know is he's locked up. They locked him up a couple months ago. Again. But, you know, he has lawyers. Him and an, another 
person that were involved with Corinna were locked up and they had lawyers. So a lot of these people don't talk and everything is like slow process. They need subpoenas. Everything has to be legal. So they need subpoenas for everything. And there's just a lot of stuff they can't tell me. So when I call them, I say, you know, what's new? They're like, they say, you know, we get, they got a lot of leads, but nothing pans out. So nobody knows where she's at. Or if they have an idea where she's at, they're not telling me. So she's basically Vanna. She's gone. She's either not alive or because she was involved with this human trafficking, there's, she's being sold from pimp to pimp to pimp and being pushed around the state. Our skin has a huge effect on our confidence. If you have acne or noticing signs of aging, it can be frustrating to waste time and money on products that aren't formulated for you. That's why I recommend Curology. Curology makes personalized prescription skincare products. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs. They use a combination of three clinically researched ingredients, making it more effective than non-prescription cleansers and moisturizers alone. I tried it out myself and it's easy, and I can't wait to get my first box. Just fill out a quiz about your skin, share photos, and a provider will prescribe a personalized formula based on your skin's unique needs. For a limited time, you can get your first Curology skincare box for just $5 when you go to Curology.com vanished. Go to Curology.com vanished for this free offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash vanished. Trial is 30 days. Applies to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Let me guess, your medicine cabinet is crammed with stuff that doesn't work. You still aren't sleeping, you still hurt, and you're stressed out. That's how it was for me. So I cleared out my cabinet, and I'm excited to reset my health with CBD from CB Distillery. CB Distillery's targeted formulations are made from the highest quality clean ingredients. No fluff, no fillers, just pure, effective CBD solutions designed to help support your health. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experienced more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity, and an impressive 90% said they slept better with CBD. If you struggle with a health concern and haven't found relief, make the change to CB Distillery. And with over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee, CB Distillery is the source to trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com and use code VANISHED for 20% off. That's cbdistillery.com code VANISHED. cbdistillery.com Taking a step back, we asked Sabina what type of girl Corinna was. We know from the story that has already been told that she was strong-willed and what Sabina considered wild. But who was she at the core? Mm, she was a handful. Well, she was a good girl. She was a respect. She was, she was good. I mean, I don't know. She's a very sensitive, very sensitive, emotional. She takes everything to heart. She's very, very good girl, very loving, very nice to people. People could disrespect her and she wouldn't just, she would never say anything she would just be nice and just let it go she would help handicapped children like she she was her own person let's put it this way she wasn't a follower she was her own person so all this stuff that she got involved with is weird to me but I mean she did it willingly like she wasn't coerced to do this type of work if 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 you get what I'm saying this is something she chose to but she got herself in something 
that I think got over her head. You know what I mean? I think that this was something she chose. I think towards the last two years, she just was out of control. She was wild. She, you know, maybe it was easy money for her. I don't know. I never knew anything about it. She liked to drink. She liked to do this. So her leaving to go to New York, this was her choice. She felt she was independent. She could do this on her own. She she did this willingly. But like I said, I think she got into this not knowing, like, look what happened to her. Like, obviously, if she's being beaten up, abused, if she got killed, whatever the case may be, she was too naive and didn't realize that was going to happen. Engaging in risky behavior that got her somewhere that I don't think she ever expected to be. She that was having fun. Let's put it that way. She wasn't going to school. She thought she could do this. I mean, she's only 18. You know, at 18, they think they know everything. She felt like she didn't have to listen to nobody. She could do what she wanted. Nothing I said mattered. But as a child, she was always her own person. People followed her. She was a leader. We asked Sabina, in her opinion, why Corinna truly left in the first place. I think she felt like unloved. If you want to get down to the root, she was overwhelmed with school. I know that she had a lot on her plate. She told me on multiple times, you know, she was worried about college. She did want to go to college. And I don't know exactly what happened with her friends either. She made a lot of enemies. I don't know what happened with girlfriends and different things like that. And I feel like us having trouble here, she just had enough. I feel like she felt maybe nobody gave a shit. You know how kids get depressed. Hence, that's why she wanted to kill herself, right? Why'd she try to take her life? She never once made me believe she wanted to kill herself. She never said, I'm going to kill myself, you know, for attention or anything. She just did it. That was like a cry for help. I came home from work. She was home. She was in her room sleeping. I go to bed because I sleep in the day. I get a text message from one of her friends at the emergency room. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I didn't care for this guy, friend. I thought he was like a bad influence. Corinna overdosed on 50, 500 milligram acetaminophen. So I used to buy those economy size headache pills and I'd keep them up in the medicine cabinet because, you know, there's no reason for me not to. Next thing you know, her liver enzymes went to the roof. He took her to the emergency room here in Bloomsburg. They rushed her to, she went to ICU in Danville. She was in intensive care. That's how bad she was. I get a call that she's now in ICU. The doctor talked to me and was like, what's going on in the house? Obviously, it's a suicide attempt. And I told him, like, I basically said, I don't know. Like, everything's just started declining. I don't know what's going on with her. I don't. She didn't tell me. Whatever was going on with her, it was like she lashed out with me, but she didn't tell me her what was going on why she was acting the way she was, why she was feeling the way she was. I think she was a, a very hurt, something hurt her very much. And I, not not you, not me, no one knows the root of the problem because she never told anybody. So only she knows what caused her because obviously something caused her to act out like she was. As much as the reports say, oh, her mom and her didn't get along. Yeah, we didn't get along the last year because Corinna was acting bad, but we always did get along. So something happened that maybe she didn't even tell me about, that she didn't tell anybody about. Is it possible that something happened to Corinna and she never told anyone about it? Sabina, along with the detectives working on the case, would theorize about this. Well, the detectives say that that a lot of times girls that get into this 
had been sexually abused at some point, but I can't imagine she would have, she never told me. Who knows? Again, she was also looking for attention. She liked the attention. She liked people saying, oh, you're pretty. Like she loved to do makeup. Like if you read in some of the article, some of the reports, she wanted to actually come up with her own YouTube channel. She wanted to come out with her own skin line. People would come to her. Friends of hers would come to her and say, do my makeup for homecoming. Do my makeup for prom. Do my hair. Like she was so good at it. She had a fashion sense of fashion. That was what she was good at. So she kind of wanted to take that further. Sabina told us about tips she's received concerning the whereabouts of Corinna. I had people contacting me, trying to extort money from me, saying they knew where Corinna was. For two and a half weeks, I have snapshots of our conversations between me and whoever this person was. Now, the cops and detectives believe it's a scam. It's a hoax. But I was going along saving and they were telling me, don't tell the cops, don't tell them. I'm like, I won't tell them. And every day in conversation, I was forwarding it, snapshotting. Every time they messaged me, I would snapshot it and save it. I have a whole album of it. There's like 300 messages. But this person, whoever this person was, is either involved in pimping because they knew a lot. He knew a lot. Like, you'd believe it. Like, that's how much information he gave me. Or he did know of Corinna or knew Corinna. because. He told me that my daughter was in North Carolina. So this is how desperate I am to get my daughter. I went and got a loan because they were asking me for money to go get my daughter. They wanted money for my, they wanted me to buy my daughter. Because if not, my daughter was going to be sold to another pimp. And this guy was supposedly trying to help me. So I went and got a loan and was trying to, to, to send it to these people. These people were giving me addresses to send it Western Union and it was a mess and they were messaging me while I'm at work. I mean, this was stressful. It was just started my new job and I have to deal with all this, but I never ended up sending the money. Well, what happened was I did send the money, but it didn't go through for some whatever reason. I don't know if they blocked it or what. I had three addresses that these people gave me. One was for North Carolina. One address was for California. And guess where the other address was? Russia. The first he wanted me to send it to North Carolina. It didn't go through. Then he said, ship it to this California address. He said, after I didn't come up with the money in a week, he said, now Corinna is going to go to California. Pimp bought her. She's going to California. He's like, well, she's being held right now. She's in Florida. He told me, he's like, she's in Florida. They're picking up another girl and they're going to California. He's like, if you want her, you have to get her. He's, and then it was too late. He, she was already on her way to California. So then he gave me a California address where to ship the money. He's like, it's not too late. So, like, I'm telling these people a message. I never spoke on the phone. I'm just telling them, like, look, I'm not sending it to FN Russia. I will physically bring it. That's what I told them. I was going to physically bring the money. Me and my girlfriend, I had the cash. I even showed them the cash. I took a picture of it and said, this money is yours. I will meet you and you deliver my daughter. You you and I do this. I won't tell the police. Like, I just want my daughter, right? He did, He wasn't willing to do that. So they came to the understanding that it was a scam. And good thing the money did not go through. But they just knew so much about it, you know. They told me a lot about her, too. They said that the guy was starving her. They try to get your heartstrings, you know what I'm saying? Like, get to your emotional side. He's like, 
now Rahim is starving her and won't feed her, so I'm going to go get help her. This guy acted like he was trying to help my daughter, in a sense, without the other guy knowing. This is how I looked at it. I'm like, it could be fake and it could be real. If it's fake and I lose my money, oh, well, it's just money, right? I mean, even though money's not just money, but my daughter's life is more important than money. So to me, I looked at it, if I try at least sitting here doing nothing about it, what kind of mom would I be if I just pretend that it's not real? Because you just don't know if it's real or not. The things he was telling me seemed so real. My thing is, how can you rule anything out unless you check it out? You don't know if she's over in California. Nobody knows. If this is an ongoing investigation, I feel that everything I forward to the detective, anything, any piece of thing, whether it's not real, looks strange, sketchy, whatever, I think everything should be investigated and checked out. If it's nothing, then fine. Then check it off. It's not nothing. The FBI arrested a man named Ishiwoni in November of 2018. He was charged with sex trafficking and other related offenses involving the sexual exploitation of young women. When these charges were announced, U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman said, As alleged, Ishiwoni engaged in a vile form of exploitation, using force and coercion to compel young women to engage in paid sex for his enrichment. We will continue to work with the FBI and NYPD to protect prospective victims of human trafficking and arrest and prosecute their predators. In the press release, FBI Assistant Director in Charge William F. Sweeney Jr. said, As alleged, Woney compelled his victim to engage in prostitution through force and coercion, and he used both this victim and Corinna Slusser, who has been missing since September of 2017, in online advertisements promoting prostitution. In the charging documents, it states that beginning around September of 2017, Woney engaged in sex trafficking by using force, fraud, and coercion to compel at least one female victim to engage in sex acts in the Bronx and other locations in exchange for money. This victim's identity has not been revealed. She is referred to as only Victim 1. Woney also transported Victim 1 to multiple states, including New York, to engage in prostitution, and purchased online advertisements promoting prostitution, some of which featured Victim 1 and Corinna Slusser. Woney had established a relationship with Victim 1 prior to Corinna. Corinna comes into the picture at the beginning of September of 2017. The criminal complaint states that Corinna reserved a room at a hotel in the Bronx between September 4th through the 9th. This hotel is a known location for substantial sex trafficking activity. In September of 2017, Woni met Corinna at the hotel. Between September 10th and 20th, the two exchanged 806 text messages. On September 17th, Woni posted a photo of victim one, Corinna, and himself on social media. Law enforcement believes the photo was taken inside a hotel room. During the time that Corinna was with Woni and victim one, Woni had allegedly posted advertisements featuring the two. He used the title, Two Girl Special, New New Enterprises. This ad was marketed to the Bronx and had photos of both women. He posted this advertisement 17 times in less than a two-week period. 
On September 20th, Woni and Corinna had a falling out because victim one was upset about the relationship between Corinna and Woni. Woni took Corinna to another hotel where she was supposed to spend the evening with another man. This is the last time Woni says that he saw Corinna. He did stop posting advertisements with Corinna, so many believe that she was sold to another pimp. We were curious how Sabina felt when it came to the investigation surrounding Corinna's disappearance. The arrest was a huge breakthrough, but it didn't lead to them finding Corinna. Since that major development, not much has happened with the case. I feel like they didn't do anything in the beginning. Like, even when it hit social media, he even told me they weren't doing anything. The the lieutenant I'm talking to now, he's like, they weren't doing anything. They looked at her like... It, she wasn't missing. They were looking at it like she was a just another 18-year-old doing what she wanted, you know, participant. Even though she was a willing participant in the beginning, still, and I don't care if she was 21, if, if weeks go on and nobody's heard from Corinna or seen Corinna, she hasn't posted on social media or anything, there's something not right. They should have considered her missing. And that is the reason I went to the city. I went to the city trying to get with the missing person report I had here and went to get her out there. And I thought she was. I was under the impression she was considered a missing person. But months went on and she wasn't. I don't believe they were doing everything they could in the beginning. They hit roadblocks. I don't think anything started really searching for her until like spring, honestly, when these other people got involved. And there's so much I could do. I feel like there's so much more they could do. But then again, I'm not a... I'm not in law enforcement, and I don't know how it all works. The people I'm working with now are very nice. They seem very empathetic. The lieutenant I'm talking to and the, the officer and the people that came to my house are very kind. And he says to me, Sabina, you need to trust me. And we're doing the best that we can. He says he doesn't retire for another several years, and he's going to work on this until he finds my daughter. He will work on this until he finds her. He says, I know it's hard. He says, for me to be patient and just let them do what they're doing. And it's hard, but they're they're doing the best that they can. And like he said, he can't tell me everything. They had some sting operation. They were up all night and they arrested more people involved. So they're hoping this is a positive. This will lead to more positive leads. Like maybe people will talk. These are not normal people. These are crazy people that they're dealing with. They'll shoot you in a heartbeat. Sex trafficking is a term we are hearing more and more within the true crime community and even just on the news. But do we actually truly understand what it is and what these crimes entail? To gain a better perspective on this subject, we spoke with Leanne McCallum, a human trafficking researcher. Here's Leanne explaining the details of her work. I actually kind of fell into doing anti-trafficking work in undergraduate I was really interested in the intersection of migration and human rights. So I started doing research on anti-trafficking. I um, started doing trafficking research in Southeast Asia. And so I went to Vietnam and Thailand and was seeing the way that vulnerable populations were exploited for sex and labor. And uh, that kick-started where I am to today. So I've been doing human trafficking research and then um, outreach and awareness uh, since then, and then received a master's degree with concentration in human trafficking in 2015. That is what I was doing before I came here. 
And now I um, coordinate the Greater New Orleans Human Trafficking Task Force, which is a Department of Justice grant-funded task force through an enhanced collaborative model grant, which is just a really fancy way of saying that it funds both law enforcement and service providers to address human trafficking from a victim-centered and trauma-informed approach. And through collaboration, we see that there's an improved response to trafficking and a better understanding of victimization and keeping the needs of victims and survivors kind of at the heart of everything that we do. So I do a lot of coordination, training, and technical assistance, and then um, managing the task force itself. Before we go any further, because the organization that Leanne works for is grant-funded, we need to include a disclaimer that her opinions are her own, and not necessarily the opinions of the agency she works for or the government. We have all heard the term human trafficking, but what does that actually mean? Leanne was able to provide a more accurate definition and help us get a better understanding of what it means. Human trafficking has kind of become a really sexy term that people use for a lot of situations. For us, we use the definition of human trafficking that's set out uh, at the federal level, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, which is when a person is forced, tricked, or coerced into providing commercial sex, so sex for something of value, or labor. If a person's under the age of 18, it doesn't matter if there's forced fraud or coercion. So any person who's under the age of 18 who's engaging in commercial sex, so trading sex for something of value, which can be money, jewelry, even a place to stay or food or survival thing, that counts as human trafficking if they're under 18. So in our community, our task force has served about 300 victims and survivors since the beginning of 2016, and that's just between four service providers. So we definitely see trafficking is happening here in the southeast of the United States, unfortunately, because it's a hidden crime. So it's a crime that is happening under the table because not all of the victims come forward. So there's no really solid estimate of the number of trafficking victims or survivors in the country. To our surprise, Leanne was able to shed some light on false statistics that have been circling around the internet when it comes to human trafficking. There are so many egregiously false statistics about trafficking out there, like the age of entry myth has been disproven quite a few times, and the fact that there are 100 to 300,000 trafficked youth in America is like patently false. It's a challenge because trafficking is just the presence of trafficking is absolutely enough. And we don't need to pad it with false statistics. It's more than, you know, one person or two people. Like this is absolutely a system-wide problem. When I was in Denver before this, I actually managed, it's called the Human Trafficking Index at the Human Trafficking Center. And so my job previously was to analyze the tip report and code it. I have a particularly keen eye when it comes to the data and statistics that are kind of put out there, particularly around prevalence and the misuse of data. The the best thing that we can turn to is places like the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Although that's just about reported cases and calls, it does give us a bit of a sense of scope in terms of clients who are self-identifying or community members who are identifying the crime. So those That's usually where I go to because we can talk about 
incidence of services and know that that's pretty solid. But then when we go to that prevalent side, that's where it gets really foggy or the data surrounding the industry and how much money the industry makes is just really foggy and it's impossible to justify some of those numbers. Time and time again, we hear of cases where a person was harmed and they stay within their situation. This could be with an abusive partner, relative, what have you. We always see the question raised, why didn't they leave? These questions are posed when it comes to individuals who have been trafficked as well. Leanne discussed the key components of trafficking coercion. Key components of the trafficking. Coercion is that psychological control. So kind of like that Stockholm syndrome, the fear, the threats. So for foreign nationals, they're often threatened with deportation or harm to their families and their home countries. So there are all these factors that make a person really scared to go to law enforcement or to service providers and disclose. And then for, you know, for survivors of sex trafficking, they're facing, sometimes they're trafficked by partner or family members, or they're being told things like, no one cares about you, you're, you're just a prostitute, you're just this. And that sort of internalization means that they may not come forward because they may believe those lies that the traffickers are telling them. So people are particularly less likely to self-identify as victims or disclose that they've been taken advantage of. People are much more likely to hear about sex trafficking in the media. And so they they look at the people who are engaging in the commercial sex industry and looking at them with the lens of that person might be a victim. But when we're thinking about labor trafficking, like people working in kitchens, people working in nail salons, in massage parlors, on farms, we kind of assume that they're more autonomous, that they have more control. And that's not necessarily the case at all. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of yummy stuff. My favorite was the rotisserie chicken green goddess salad, but our box was packed full of other delicious things too, like snacks and fresh produce. And my favorite part is that Hungry Root makes my weekday evenings go so much smoother. It's the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. All you have to do is take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals. Then they'll build a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. And my favorite part is that everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole, trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering the Vanish listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Vanish to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Vanished. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Shipping can make or break a sale. As your business grows, ShipStation can help optimize how you ship your orders so you can stay competitive while you scale up. With ShipStation, you can easily automate shipping tasks and manage orders in one simple dashboard. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications. ShipStation is the most affordable way to ship everything you sell online. They offer industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce business with ShipStation. 
I tried out ShipStation and I loved how easy it was to use. I was able to set it up quickly and I was thrilled to see how much I saved on my first shipment. Optimize and keep your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code VANISH today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code VANISHED. We asked Leanne to describe the type of people most traffickers are and how they manipulate people into trusting them. In the movies and television, the idea of human trafficking, whether it be for sex or labor, is dramatized and exaggerated in the sense that it is a giant underground operation with crime bosses and so on, when the truth of the matter is a trafficker could be anyone, even someone you once knew and loved. The thing about traffickers is that they read what a victim may be desiring. Like they see that a person may have low self-esteem or they see that a person may not have a father or mother figure or or they may have experienced um, child sexual abuse or some of these other childhood experiences that make a child more vulnerable. Traffickers have this incredible ability to just kind of Tell when a person is more vulnerable to to believing those things and going with it, and so traffickers may say, okay this this girl has a really low self esteem, and I can take advantage of that and then exploit that, telling her how beautiful she is, that they're the only people that think she's beautiful but but they don't care, and telling them, oh, I'm going to do all these things for you, and really filling that void in the person's life. And that's what's so alluring to these victims at the beginning is is that they're filling a, a need. We come across traffickers who are family members, who are mothers or fathers or aunts. We see traffickers who are partners, their husbands or boyfriends or girlfriends. We see traffickers who are employers, who are, you know, high-standing members of society who are well-respected, but behind closed doors are, are harming people and controlling people. And we see folks that are trafficked by acquaintances, by strangers, and by loved ones. And it's all different genders and sexes are traffickers. We tend to see that they're more likely to be male, but within trafficking, we see there's a hierarchy of control. And so sometimes victim perpetrators where a person may have been trafficked or um, exploited previously, and now they've moved up the chain and they control others on behalf of the trafficker. This can happen in labor as well, you know, with a person being a laborer before and then a site manager later, controlling the people at the bottom of the totem pole. And generally, when we talk about those folks, we forget the fact that many of them did experience victimization before. So it's a really complicated, complex relationship that can happen between the bottom and the folks at the bottom of the food chain and the trafficker and that bottom or victim perpetrator. Leanne told us about the myths and misconceptions about human trafficking. There are quite a few different myths and misconceptions about human trafficking. And part of the reason why is because this is a relatively new crime to understand. Chattel slavery has been around for, you know, thousands of years and ended in the United States, at least with the Emancipation Proclamation. But that sort of 
slavery is a little bit different than human trafficking. One myth that we often hear of is the idea that victims or survivors of trafficking have to be physically bonded or physically harmed or controlled. And so a lot of times people have these images of trafficking as being a person chained or, you know, locked in a room or physically harmed to keep them under control. And while that is a component of trafficking for some victims and survivors, the coercion or that psychological control rather than physical is often much stronger. The National Human Trafficking Hotline did an assessment of victims and survivors who had called in at one point. And what they found is that the most common form of control used against the survivors who had called in was that psychological coercion. And so in domestic violence and in human trafficking, we often hear the question, well, why didn't he leave or why didn't she leave? And the the truth is that that psychological control is incredibly powerful, whether it's fear or whether it's, you know, that Stockholm syndrome or the fact that the trafficker has basically painted a, a fake world that the survivor may believe, but in reality is not the case. That is incredibly controlling. And so a person may not recognize that they're a victim because of these psychological controls and some of the the lies and untruths that traffickers tell them. So that's a really big myth that we hear often. I think another really big myth is the connection between kidnapping and transporting across state lines and human trafficking. And this myth is related to the first official human trafficking act in the United States it's called the Mann Act. It's actually the roots of where the FBI was born. And the Mann Act is, it was also called the White Slavery Act, and it made it illegal to transport women across state lines for lewd or immoral purposes. And so essentially what it did is it made it a crime that was about transporting people, and it made it a crime about protecting female sexuality. This myth is kind of carried on past the Mann Act, and it, it's still around today that people envision young girls being kidnapped off the street by four national men and then being transported across international or state lines for trafficking purposes. And in reality, that experience is is not the experience that the vast majority of our clients have. A lot of the clients that we see are trafficked in their home state or are never transported outside of the city that they were born and raised in. This is something that has been a big issue to overcome is helping the general public understand that smuggling, so the transport across a state line or an international line, is different than human trafficking, which is when a person is compelled to do sex or labor for through force, fraud, or coercion. So in the instance that a person goes missing and human trafficking is suspected, who can you report this to? Most people believe that the FBI is the only agency that handles such things. But according to Leanne, this is not the case. There are so many different agencies who have capabilities of doing anti-trafficking work who are capable of investigating human trafficking. So to overburden the FBI with all these cases 
is not particularly helpful because even though they seem like they have endless resources on the TV shows and all of that, that's not the case. You know, they do have limits on manpower and limits on the scope that they'll take. And then the last component is simply that the FBI does not take every case. There are times that folks will share a lead or reach out to the FBI. And because of jurisdictional issues for law enforcement, they will choose not to take it. Or there may not be enough evidence that the case has indeed got, you know, crime that's happening across state lines happening. And so particularly when a case is localized, when it's happening in a city or within a state, the FBI generally won't get involved. And I don't want to speak for them. I don't I don't work for them. Uh, but they, they just can't take a lot of the local cases that happen. Finally, we asked Leanne if there were any other myths that she would like to debunk while she had the opportunity. One myth that we hear really frequently is that all victims and survivors of trafficking are helpless and that they're desperate to be rescued. And although that is the way that it's been depicted on TV shows and in movies like Taken, generally the survivors that we're seeing don't self-identify as, as victims or survivors. They think that they may have taken a bad job or they may have internalized some of those really terrible messages that traffickers may give them thinking that they're worthless or I'm just a prostitute or I'm just a, a undocumented person. And so they may not see themselves as a person who's being victimized. Additionally, they may not know their rights. They may not know that what's happening to them is illegal and it's not correct. And then the last thing is that not all victims and survivors feel safe or comfortable coming forward to service providers or friends or family or law enforcement. You know, some of them may have had really bad previous experiences where somebody didn't identify them as a victim and treated them like a criminal. And so it's really not black and white as it may seem when it comes to victims and survivors of trafficking. And it's really important to recognize the power and autonomy of folks who have survived through a horrible experience like that, and to acknowledge that there are a variety of different ways that victims and survivors may present or may act when they're being uh, maintained in a condition of trafficking. So often we think of the perfect victim paradigm. We think of the victim or survivor who is desperate to escape, is you know super helpful, they want to prosecute their trafficker. But when we're talking about people who have complex trauma, so trauma that's not just one incident. So when somebody is experiences a sexual assault, that's the single instance of trauma that can really negatively impact them. When we're talking about human trafficking, we're talking about complex trauma. So somebody is experiencing trauma over a long period of time, many different times. You know, a sex trafficking survivor is being forced to perform sex acts day in and day out or may experience violence or labor trafficking survivors may see horrible things in the workplace or, you know, may be harmed in the workplace. When someone has complex trauma, there are a lot of ways that their brains actually change. They have PTSD and makes it really difficult in a lot of cases for them to act or respond to situations in the same way as someone who doesn't have trauma. 
So a lot of times what we see in victims and survivors is we see numbing and flooding. So we see people who are really disassociated, don't engage at all, are not present, or we see that flooding. We see incredibly angry, incredibly upset, quote unquote, flying off the handle. What it is, is a trauma response. It's not the victim's fault at all. It's, it's part of their brain. And so they're constantly in that fight, flight, or freeze mode all the time. Uh, not just in dangerous situations. And so sometimes those clients can be difficult to work with, but it's as a result of their trauma. It's their actual body, their brain has changed as a result of the, the horrible things they may have endured. Even though it's easy to talk about being trauma-informed when a person that you're trying to help and that you care about, you know, maybe is yelling at you or is getting violent with you, it's really hard to remember. This is their trauma speaking. This is their trauma in action. This is not them being a bad person or something. We hear from a lot of the different studies on victims and survivors of trafficking. A large portion of these folks have PTSD and a large portion of them are trying to forget what happened to them or trying to live a normal life after. And so we see a lot of folks who are facing mental health disorders, having substance abuse disorders who are trying to cope with this, the trauma they've endured. They may be engaging in harmful behaviors to try to self-medicate. And so there's so many ways that these clients may try to cope with the trauma that we may not perceive as healthy or right or, or whatever our preconceived notions are. But in reality, these folks are just trying to kind of live day to day and, and get through what they've experienced. And that may not look the way that we want. They may not want to go to counseling. They may not want to testify against their trafficker or seek justice through the criminal justice system against their trafficker. And that's okay. And I think it, the onus is on us as community members and folks who do um, anti-trafficking work to recognize that the victims and survivors are the owners of their experience and they get to kind of pick the path for themselves going forward because the traffickers took that control away. We don't want to take that control away from them either. Corinna's story has picked up traction across media outlets, which means she may no longer be in the New York area, especially if the people who are holding her have seen her face plastered all over the news. You know, these people could see that she's wanted. They're not going to keep her in the area, especially if she's making money for them. They're going to get rid of her and keep her far away from New York City as possible, right? They're going to take her away. And that's basically my feeling is what they did. Or she mouthed off or they hit her the wrong way or killed her. I don't know. The detectives say that majority of times they don't kill their kill the girls because then they're useless. Well, what? how much useful can they be? when they're tired out, worn out, drugged up, and how useful can they be, right? Like to me, like how useful can you be for so long? I mean, they're raping her every day. They're putting her to work. If they have her under control and they took her from the city and they're passing her pimp to pimp, she's not doing it freely. They're actually pimping her out. They're, they're raping her every day. She's not willing. So how long can she be useful? It's hard for me to say. I don't I don't like to even think of it. It's fact. Anything she ever loved is gone from that poor girl. And this is what, I'm sorry if I cry, but this is what hurts me because they've taken her life. 
You know, they've taken everything she's going to need. If she's alive and she's found, she's going to need so much therapy. Sabina contemplates what it will be like if and when Corinna ever returns home and the future struggles they will face together as a family. Physically, mentally. I mean, look how she felt living here. She felt so horrible living here and it wasn't even a bad situation. Can you imagine how she feels now? You know what I'm saying? Like she felt abused or whatever here. She took everything to heart here. Now, after she's been hit and beaten, abused, mentally, physically scarred for life, all I want to know is she's alive, you know, and well, like if she doesn't want to come home and you can't make anyone, I just wanted to know she was like alive. You know, that's all I, all I want. I'm sure she feels like a failure. I'm sure she feels horrible. I'm sure she feels embarrassed. I'm sure she has all kinds of emotions if she's alive. And sometimes the way her personality, the way she tried to kill herself, it makes me wonder if she didn't maybe take her own life. I don't know. Like, how much could she take? How much can someone take? I don't know if I could handle what she's going through. I don't know if I could do it. You don't know if she said something wrong to the pimp and they, like, punched her real hard and knocked her out so she died and they took her somewhere. I have all these ideas in my head. I have mixed feelings. Like, sometimes I get positive feeling. Like, I think, yeah, maybe she's alive. Then I have feelings. Because I had a dream that she wasn't alive. Like, I had a dream. And my and her aunt had the same dream. Well, she physically felt like she passed over. Because I, I had a dream. I was, like, I pray every day. And I wasn't even asleep for 20 minutes. And I saw Corinna's face. And it looked like she was reluct- reluctant. She come to me and she had her like little finger in her mouth and then she come into me and I felt her head on my stomach and then I woke up bawling my eyes out. Like I literally woke up bawling so hard because I'm like, she's not alive. Like I got this feeling like she's not alive. Finally, we asked Sabina how she's been holding up while dealing with all of this. The unknowing, the lack of closure that comes from not getting the answers you so desperately want when it comes to your missing child. I can't function like there's no way that I could do this for seven more years not knowing whether she's alive or not so I hope that they come up with something soon I mean I'm not going to say she's passed away because you're right I I have hope she's not plus I'm you know I don't know we don't know so why would I say she's not you know what I mean my hope is though that she's okay and I don't think she's okay to be treated that way is horrible I can't imagine being abused like that I don't even know how to handle it. I don't know how to train myself, if she is alive, how I can help her. Like, I don't even know. The only thing I could do is be there for her. You know, like, I don't even know how I would handle. You know, my biggest fear with my children was maybe, like, you know, when they get their driver's license, you worry that they'll get in a fatal accident. That's your biggest fear. Like, you worry about your kid's fatal car crash or something because you hear about that a lot. Never in a million, never, ever would I dreamt of this happening. This is like a nightmare. Where I live, even though they're saying it's so, a lot of this happens around here, people that know me, they can't believe it either because nobody really looked into this stuff. And this is so strange for them as well. They're not living it. You know, I, they have their healthy kids and healthy kids. And I did learn lessons from this. I could say that. So if God was trying to teach me something, he definitely did. But She's still young enough to turn her life around if she, if she was found, but I'm just hoping she can get found. 
So what happened to Corinna Slusser after she was allegedly seen leaving a motel in Queens on September 20th, 2017? Corinna had been active on social media leading up to this time, and then all activity just stopped. Was she sold to another pimp who took away her access to social media? Is she even still alive? If she is, could she have been taken to another state or even another country? Authorities believe that Corinna is still alive, but that she could have been transported out of state. She really could be anywhere, so where do you even begin to look? At the time of her disappearance, Corinna was around 140 pounds and stood at 5 foot 7 inches tall. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. She has a black flower tattoo on her sternum. If anyone has information regarding the whereabouts of Corinna Slusser, please call the NYPD's Crime Stoppers hotline at 1-800-577-TIPS. How did she just disappear? Because I know, I know she would have contacted if she could, especially if she's in danger. You get what I mean? Like if someone's abusing her and, and whatever, and she's being forced to do stuff, I can't imagine her not trying to reach if not me, because she's mad at me, she'd reach out to somebody. She would get a hold of somebody and be like, help me, help me, help me. She had a lot of friends. She knew a lot of people, and nobody has heard of her. Unless she picked up and was like, F everybody. This is this is the idea the detectives have. Like, they, which I don't believe it. I mean, there's a lot of variables, but they think, well, maybe she picked up and was like, F it, and like, she's living her life, and she's, and then, then there's the variable that she could be, like, all drugged up and kind of, like, manipulated, too, in some sense. And then she could be not alive. Or she could be out of the country. Who really knows where she went? But I don't believe she would never talk to me again. She loved me. We butted heads towards the end, but she loved me. She wanted to come home. Somebody knows where Corinna's at. Somebody does. She didn't disappear on her. Someone either knows who killed her, somebody knows who took her. Somebody out in the city knows where Corinna's at. And no one's talking because they don't want to get killed or for whatever reason. That brings us to the end of episode 183. I'd like to thank everyone who spoke with us for this story. If you have a missing loved one that you'd like to have featured on the show, there's a case submission form at thevanishedpodcast.com. You can follow the show on Facebook, where there's a page and a private discussion group for the show. My Twitter handle is thevanishedpod, and you can also find me on Instagram. If you enjoy this show, subscribe now and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Wondery.com or wherever you're listening right now. Do you want to help support the show? There are a couple things that you can do. One way to help The Vanished is by supporting our sponsors. You can find links and promo codes in the episode notes. Another way to support the show is by contributing on Patreon, where you can get early and ad-free episodes. Just a quick note, I'll be taking next week off to meet those of you who are attending the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago. 
The next episode of The Vanished will be out on July 22nd. Join me next time. I'll be covering a case for Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Matt, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts